Hi, I'm your host, Megan Whiteside. I'm a lawyer and a mom, and I know how trying to balance the two can leave you feeling depleted and stuck. Are you ready to reframe your mindset, own your power, and set yourself up for success? You're listening to the Mom Life & Law Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Mom, Life, and Law. I am here with my colleague, Marcia. If you will introduce yourself and let the listeners know what you do. Sure. So I'm Marcia Narine Weldon. I have a lot of jobs. I guess I'm one of those multi-hyphenates. I'm a full-time law professor at University of Miami. I am also the general counsel of a small startup. I am also the general counsel and chief diversity officer of a boutique law firm, which works on corporate governance, compliance, employment law, etc. Um, and my passion, I'm also an executive coach for lawyers, uh, small business owners, entrepreneurs, and nonprofits, and a business consultant. I forgot that part. So I do a few things. Yeah, you're just a little bit busy. (laughs) I'm also a mom of a 24-year-old, almost 25. So tell us how you got here, right? So you have a lot on your plate now, but you know, in getting to know you, I've learned a little bit about your background in the law. So I would love it if you would share sort of your journey through your legal career to how you got here, where you are today. So I never wanted to be a lawyer. I thought I was going to be a psychologist. Um, and I didn't realize that you need to take like the GRE or the GMAT or the MCAT, and I'm terrible at math. I actually went to my undergrad, Columbia, because it didn't have a math requirement, and I took the LSAT because it didn't have a math requirement. So I was never planning to be a lawyer. Um, in my last semester of college, I took a class called Civil Rights, Law, and Social Change. I got an A. I was actually going to graduate from college a year early. I was like, everybody's going to Wall Street. What am I going to do? I've got this expensive degree. And the professor said, you should think about law school. I said, that's where I'll go. And I found there was no math requirement, and that's where I went. So that's how I got to where I am. And then I graduated from law school, was planning to help the poor and the indigent. And then I realized I had 120000 in debt, and I was the poor and the indigent. So I ended up going to big law. But I went to big law from in New York that had a huge pro bono commitment. So that made me feel great. Um, then I had my son. Um, I was an unexpected single mother. He was a delightful surprise. Um, I got pregnant right before my first jury trial, um, and then, uh, which was interesting, it was about the movie Philadelphia, where, and uh, our clients claimed that Hollywood stole the story. Um, and as I became more and more pregnant, I got to second seat the jury trial, which was itself more interesting. <laughs> um, and then I moved down to Miami to be closer to family again, so that because I knew being a single mother with a at a big law firm. Part-time might be 60 hours a week. I would never see him. He'd be in therapy. I'd be in therapy. So I moved back to Miami, um, more closer to my parents, and then I went to another big law firm. I decided to go in-house. I realized that I started doing commercial litigation in New York. I went to labor and employment in Miami, which I loved, but I didn't like the adversarial part so much. Although I was adversarial, but I didn't like the adversarial. I liked the counseling portion, so I went in-house, and I was in-house for 12 years. By the time I left the in-house life, I was... uh, Chief Privacy Officer, Deputy General Counsel, and Chief Compliance Officer for a publicly traded Fortune 500 company. I then decided I wanted to go into, I got bored because we never had any scandals, which is a good thing. I guess I was doing my job too well. So I thought maybe I would go to some other kind of company that had a scandal so I could fix it or do something totally different. Um, and then I decided to go into academia because I got, uh, it, it relates to the coaching thing, but they gave everybody an executive coach if you were in a certain part of the succession plan. and. They gave you know, a battery of tests, 
and then I was also being recruited for like a Fortune 50 GC job, and they gave me a battery test, and all those things came out saying I should be an educator and a knowledge expert. And so I said, maybe I'll do a professor thing. And so then I became a professor, but I never stopped practicing law. So even when I went into the professorship, I started, um, I was working as a consultant and practicing law all the way through. So next year will be 30 years as an ecstatically happy lawyer. I've been a happy lawyer for 30 years, every single job I've had. So I know I'm a unicorn in that sense. Yes. So I'd like to unpack that a little bit because not only are you a busy lawyer and now have multiple hats with your coaching job, your, your, your teaching, your general counsel, all of the advising that you do. How is it that you, you find joy with such a jam-packed schedule? Because what I see is a lot of lawyer moms are overworked, overwhelmed, and unhappy. So I'd love to know kind of what you oh, yeah. do. Um, so I have overworked, overwhelmed, but I'm not unhappy. I, I'm not really, I've tried to figure that out because I know that so many other people I know are unhappy. But for me, I've always tried to find the joy in what I'm doing. What's the lesson I'm learning? Um, you know, so doing jury trials, I didn't do a lot of them because I was always on the defense side and you never want to be in a jury trial. Um, but I love to learn. And so as a litigator, if you're doing commercial litigator litigation, you learn everything there's to know about a certain topic and then you move on to something else. That really fueled my soul. Being in-house and doing stuff in 15 different countries, I loved all of that. I constantly needed to be intellectually stimulated, which is why I think I really enjoyed it. Um, I never did a job where there was a lot of the same thing every day. And that's probably why I've been so happy. Now, the problem was I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my son growing up. And I think that's, if I had it to do over again, I'm not sure that I would change it because he tells me now that I should never change it. By the time he was 19, he had traveled to 19 countries because I made a lot of money as an in-house lawyer and we could take really great vacations. Um, when I went into academia though, we moved to Kansas. Um, because I was my first job was University of Missouri in Kansas City and lived in Kansas so they could have great schools. I completely uprooted him. I was gonna. I had a lot more time with him, but I also got super sick because I went to Africa and, um, to help set up a nonprofit, and I came back with some horrible disease, um, and that really affected everything I could do. It affected the family relationship. I was still trying to do a good job at my due job as an academia. I also, by the way, owned a beauty salon in Florida because when I was an in-house when I was an in-house lawyer, I made so much money. First world problem. So much money that that my accountant says find a business and lose money. And he said, open some law for me. I said, I can't do that. It's a conflict of interest. We'll find a business and lose money. So I found a business, purposely you know, lost money. So I was doing all of those things. And I think at some point your body shuts down, right? So you go to Africa. There's only so many things you can be vaccinated against. Um, I was constantly getting run down. I was always sick. Um, so I think that had a major impact on me, being away from everybody, my son being uprooted. I started thinking about how might I change my life. But... Um, I thought I was gonna have an easier job going and becoming a professor, but my sense of, I wanna know everything, I wanna learn everything, I worked much harder than I had to do. Um, and I think, you know, two lessons just from the things that I've just said. The, I went from making mid six figures between stock options, et cetera, as an in-house lawyer, to making 25 or $30,000 as a teaching fellow. But I had had two years of salary saved up because I created what I call an FU fund. Forget you fund, whatever you want to call it. So I was able to take that job, and it's the one thing I tell lawyers of any age, but especially junior lawyers, that you save up your money so that if you ever need to leave someplace, you could. As a compliance officer, 
and as a deputy GC, the entire board knew I had my FU fund. I talked, they jo I joked about it, but they always knew I could leave if I needed to. But having that fund was the thing that allowed me to say, let me go do something else. I can be an academic and do a two-year fellowship for $25,000 a year and still raise my kid. And we're not going to be eating ramen noodles and oatmeal. And we're still going to take luxury cruises. That was the best thing. So it worked well for him. Um, I didn't have the pressures of financial stress. Um, and, and that was helpful. But I put a lot of the stress on myself because I had the academic stress. I wanted to learn everything because I was starting from scratch. I was starting at the bottom of the totem pole as an academic. I didn't write law review articles in law school. I didn't do anything. I'd been practicing for years and years at that time. So that had an impact on my health as well. So even though I came back sick, I think I was sick longer because the stress of trying to know everything and do everything and be everything um, really got to me. Yeah. Well, so you said earlier that you always like to find the lesson in everything that you go through. So what was the lesson there in those first two years in academia? First of all, people in the Midwest are super nice, right? And, and as a single mother working, you know, as a deputy GC and other stuff and working in big law, I didn't ever really ask for help. And the lesson I learned is that people in the Midwest are nice and they will help you. Um, unsolicited random people in Kansas would help me with things. But when I was so sick that I couldn't go home for Thanksgiving, I had any number of faculty members who I had just met two months before say, come to our house for dinner, we'll make you food, I can take you to the hospital. That meant a huge amount to me. And it was the first time that I acknowledged I really need help. I needed help for years, right? Because I was always doing everything. You know, there was a time when I was in Singapore and it was gonna be my son's birthday and, you know, I wanted to be there at midnight, like I always am, to wake him up and say happy birthday. And I was landing at six in the morning, and I felt such guilt that I had a 24-hour birthday party. Like the Cub Scouts, and we went bowling, and then we went like swimming, and then we had a slumber party, and you know, they got marshmallows all over my furniture, but I, I felt so guilty. I could have just you know, put some boundaries and say, you know, your birthday party, you know, I'm gonna be late, we'll have the birthday party in the evening, life will go on but I felt such crushing guilt and I could have just asked for help and I could have set the boundaries for myself. So getting really sick in Kansas was I think a way to shut me down and to say, you know, you're not a superhero. You don't have a cape on, you can do other things. Um, and then I eventually moved back to Florida after being in Kansas for two years to teach in Florida. Um, and again, started to slow things down, but my son was getting older and you talk about lessons, right? I learned the importance of the lessons of words have power, which we know as lawyers, right? Obviously, that's what we do. And we're super precise with the words and how the words, what order the words are in, you know? Do I put the word material in front of the word or after the word, what about the word only? It makes a difference, right? Where's the comma? It makes a difference. But I think in our personal lives, we don't think about that. And my son was struggling with certain things and I was struggling with certain things and, you know, mother of a teenager. Um, we would get in huge arguments, and I would say something like, you know, you're going to drive me to the hospital with the heart attack. And then three days later, I was in the hospital with what they thought was a heart attack. And it happened again where I said, you know, I'm going to have a stroke. You know, I've got high blood pressure. Like yelling at him, by the way, making things worse for myself. Um, and, you know, teenagers can kind of just completely, like, blank you out. So, you know, I'm like, ah. And then three days in the later, I'm in the hospital with what they thought was a stroke. Neither time was a heart attack or a stroke. But my body reacted in a way that looked like it. Um, because my body responded to it. And then I think, uh, to, not like I didn't learn my lesson, because the year after that, um, this was in 2018, I was going on a trip to Costa Rica. 
and I had a dream that I was going to get hurt in an ATV accident. And I kept telling everybody, I can't believe about this dream, this dream, like this dream. And then there was a day we were supposed to be going on ATVs in a rainforest. I was like, but my dream, my dream, my dream. You know, and people were like, enough with the dream. Relax, we've heard it. And as we were going on the ATV in the forest, I was one of the only people who decided to put on a helmet. It was raining because it was a rainforest. And they had an ATV accident. And the ATV flipped and landed on my side. Um, and I was lucky that it didn't blow up. Um, people in Costa Rica are also really nice. A bunch of people helped lift it off of me and, you know, I went down to a hospital, etc. But the importance of our words. So now I really focus on the words. I don't ever say anything that might come into that way. And, you know, you might see it. I've got my little ohm thing. I got chakras tattooed on my arm. If you look across, you'd see like a big shrine. That had a huge impact um, on knowing the importance of words and knowing the importance of your mortality and helping me to try to figure out what's really important in life. So I became like much, much more spiritual and had big journeys in that way. Um, and that's what led me to coaching, right? When I talk to my coaching clients, they'll say, I have to go to work. It's like, no, you get to go to work. You have a job. So think about it that way. You know, my boss is an a-hole. He's terrible. I said, let's try to reframe that. So I started learning NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. I'm, you know, I'm learning hypnotherapy right now. I've done a number of other things because I really want to help people reframe how they use their language. I do it with my students, right? I'm not a good speaker, professor. I said, you're not a good speaker yet, right? Just add the word yet to the end of it. Think about everything as precise as we are as lawyers. What do we say when we're talking to ourselves? And so that's that's kind of my mission, to get people to relax, to slow down, to realize the world will not end. Now, I mean, if you're representing somebody on death row, yes, somebody could die. Other than that, right, we take ourselves too seriously. And, and we put a lot more stress on ourselves than we need to. And for sometimes for our clients, if it's good enough, that's fine, right? So those are some of the things that I've learned over the period of time. That is so powerful. And... Mm -hmm acknowledging the power of our words, I think is huge. I mean, I, I'm blown away by your stories of saying you're going to land me in the hospital and then that actually materialized the ATV dream. That is wild, Marcia, that that, that yeah. happened to you. I mean, in a very dramatic way, you experienced the power of words. But the, here's the other lesson. I didn't learn the lesson the first time with the hospital with the heart attack. I didn't learn the lesson the second time with the stroke, you know. And again, luckily, I didn't have strokes, but I was in the stroke ward for three days. I'm like, I'm too young to be in a stroke ward. I have a cardiologist. I'm like, I'm too cute and young for a cardiologist. He's like, yes, you are. So just like, relax. <laughs> so, so, which is why I meditate and I try to eat well. And, you know, I live across the street from the beach and I go walking on the beach in the morning for sunrise because I do all of these things to calm down. But I'm a type A person, right? Which is literally why I have chakras tattooed on my arm so I can look at myself and remind myself to breathe. Um, because there's times I have an Apple Watch on. If you have your Apple Watch, there's a Breathe app on it, right? And there have been times when it goes off and reminds me to take a minute of a breath, and I used to be, I'm too busy to breathe, which is ridiculous, right? Because we're always breathing. But now I focus on how might, how might I do a deep breath, a deep cleansing breath to kind of just bring down the cortisol, bring in the good hormones, and just kind of relax. So it's, it's a work in progress for me every day. And I tell that to my coaching clients. I'm not perfect, but I'm a hell of a lot better than I was a year ago and every day just trying to get better and better yeah 
Do you have any advice for the lawyer mom that's struggling, that is at, you know, a level 10, a level 20 stress, uh, you know, uh, level 20 on a scale of one to 10, right? She's, she's yelling at her kids. She's not getting enough sleep. She's running her body down. And, and I think a lot of moms are experiencing a huge amount of stress right now during COVID. I mean, we've got a light at the end of the tunnel, but what do you say to her? Who's God the bless the mothers right now. My son, um, he's an artist. He's very calm right now, but my son actually started walking when he was six months old. Um, and I was, I'd moved from Florida. I remember I told you I was in New York. I moved back to Florida and I had to take the Florida bar in February. I put him in a nursery school. Within a week, he got some horrible bronchial condition. Plus, he was walking, so he would try to climb out of the crib. And so they're like, we can't take your kid. And I had to take the bar exam in three weeks. So I had him next to me with him with a nebulizer. You know, I'm sitting here trying to learn about, like, the rule against perpetuities, which, you know, who uses that, right? I'd already been practicing as a lawyer for three years. And him knocking everything down, him deciding he wants to breastfeed again. And I'm like, the bar exam, right? And so... I cannot imagine what it's like with, with mothers with COVID right now, because that was for a period of about a few weeks. That was tough. I cannot imagine. Um, but what I do, what I, what would I have done differently is the kind of stuff I talk about now, right? First of all, I get up really early in the morning, um, which for some people like really, cause I need my sleep, right? So I get that, but build little things in the day. I think it's super intimidating when we say to people, get up at 5 a.m. Because I can do that because I wake up early naturally, but not everybody can, right? But even if it's a few minutes, I do a few things. So in the morning, I get up, I pray, I meditate, I journal. Some people might say, I don't have time for all that. Even if it's, before I get out of bed, I say 10 things I'm thankful for. On the weekends, I make it a list of 100. I literally will not, I have my iPad next to me and I write it down, 100 things I'm grateful for, which really makes you like, I'm grateful for the fact that they had that stuff at Target when I went there. Like at some point, like, yeah. what am I, and I, enough, I've thought of the sun, the moon, I'm breathing, right? So you start thinking about stuff, but it really forces you to think and be present and not think about all the stress. Um, I look in the mirror every morning and I go through things that I talk to myself, because remember the words have power. So the I am, super powerful words. I use the words of the alphabet. I am amazing, I am beautiful, I am this, I am that. And every day I think of a different letter of the alphabet. That also helps you get present, right? Um, and even if baby's crying, again, the baby can wait for a few minutes. We also have to learn that, right? The, you know, unless there's, you know, a fire, right? In the shower, I do tapping, EFT, emotional freedom technique, which is something I recommend to my clients as well. Um, it's basically tapping on certain meridian points um, and through a sequence. You can actually find YouTubes on it for five minutes, 10 minutes or longer. But if you tap on certain meridian points, they've shown that if you do it in certain cycles, it can bring down the cortisol level, which is your stress level, you know, by 40%. They do it with veterans, with PTSD, with survivors of rape and trauma, etc. I tap every morning. By the time I get out of the shower, I am much more relaxed. In the evenings, I take a shower with a candle on. And I, turn, I make it a spa experience. I make my own scrubs with salt and rose and oils. And, I, and it's really a way to take care of myself. It might be five minutes, but that's five minutes where there's a candle and I can kind of forget what's going on. And I don't watch the news, right? I read the headlines. If something tragic is happening, if there's a rapist loose in my building, my mother is going to call me. If anything happens within like a 20 mile radius of where I live, my mother's like, are you involved in that fire in that building? Right? Like that's, so everybody has somebody who's going to call them and say, yeah. But I don't watch the news because it keeps me much calmer. I am much calmer. For the people who are overwhelmed, you might find relief. I'm going to scroll on social media, but what's the, again, words have power. What are you seeing on your social media feed, 
right? Is everybody angry and upset about this, that, the other? It doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. I was the only person I knew who was not in a panic during the election. Because I wasn't watching, the, I mean, I knew what was going on in the world, but I wasn't on social media reading about all my friends arguing with each other and canceling each other and saying they're never going to talk to each other because they support Trump or Biden or whatever. Um, it's had a huge impact on my sense of calm. So part of overwhelm is because there's constant voices, the voices of other people on your social media screen, the voices of people on the news, the voices of people who are unhappy, plus your kid's crying and the dog is barking and your boss is you know, demanding a Zoom meeting when you're like, can we just use the phone? We used to use the phone for like 50 years. Why does everything have to be a Zoom meeting, right? So I think it's literally little five minute carve outs, right? You're switching between Zoom meetings. Don't go on the social media. I have a playlist of songs that I love from high school and college and I'll just pick one of them and I'll get up and I'll dance for five minutes. You'd be surprised, no one is looking and by the way, if you have kids, let them dance with you. They'll think it's funny, whatever. You know, if they're teenagers, let them dance with you, right? That five minutes, you're laughing, you're smiling, you've reset, you've reframed. So as opposed to, all right, you know, I'm going to distract myself for five minutes before I get in that meeting with Megan, because Megan makes me crazy. You know what? For five minutes, I'm going to dance to the song that I danced to in high school. The song that if it came on at a wedding, you would get up and dance regardless. You would take your shoes off to dance. That's the song you want to have on your playlist. So in between meetings or when you're stressed, you do that. And bring the kids in. Bring the kids into the tapping. Bring the kids into meditation, even if it's for two minutes. Or let them count for you. Um, you know, if you're doing box breathing, you know, exhale for four, inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four. Let the kid count. Okay, mommy, one, two, three, four. Get them involved, which also teaches them the skill that mom needs to relax and calm down. And your kids watch you, right? So those are a number of things that you could do. Oh, I'm going to try some of those. I love the idea and the visual really is powerful. What is that song at a wedding that I would take off my shoes and oh, yeah. get out if on the dance floor? Who's around that you like, you're like, I don't dance, except it's that song, right? Right. What is the song that reminds, and everybody has a song because, you know, they say that the songs that you listen to in high school and college are often typically, I mean, of course, people have tragic things that happen to them in the high school and college. We know that for sure. But there's some song that every time you hear it, you smile. Like you think of that boyfriend, you know, or you think of that football game, whatever it is. So, you know, make a playlist. And so pick it randomly. You know, get up and get out of bed in the morning, dance, dance in the shower. Things like that, they're little things, right? You don't have to have a spa weekend and restore and do like a yoga nidra and like, because a lot of busy mothers don't have the time. But when you do have the time, you know, like they say, when the baby's asleep, you sleep. You know, when your kid's doing something, lie down and close your eyes. I'm not capable of doing power naps yet. I'd be yet to it. <laughs> I'm not good at that power nap yet. Um, but some people are. There's some people who can fall asleep in 15, 20 minutes. As long as your child is safe, you know, and, or your child is asleep or doing something else like that, or you have other people around. Um, and again, ask for help. If you've got a husband, an older child, a partner, have that person say, hey, look, I just need 15 minutes to go lie down. You know, get one of those sleep masks that has like ice on it, whatever. Um, and just like put it over your head. Even if you don't sleep, just close your eyes. But don't get the temptation to, I've got 15 minutes, let me see what's on Instagram. You know, I've got 15 minutes, you know, let me go and see what's happening on Clubhouse. Sometimes just be still. Yeah. Well, and, and what you said about... Um, just reframing, I, you know, saying I don't have time is also one of those things that the words matter, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it, uh, I once heard or recently heard someone say, rather than saying I don't have enough time or I don't have time to do that, 
flip mm-hmm. that to I have too many things on my plate and then figuring out what you can cut or what you can delegate or what you can't, right? And so, you know, I don't have time to, you know, get up and dance or take a shower in the evenings, but I scroll for an hour on Facebook or Instagram. Well, maybe I'm just not, one, not prioritizing my time or my self-care. And two, it's that reframe of using the words that, you know, I need to relax, I need to decompress because I have a lot on my plate and then finding a way to do it. Now, if I'm not bashing all social media, but clean up your feed also, right? If your social media feed is full of a lot of negativity and those kinds of things, then you can follow a lot of stuff. I look at my Instagram feed, it constantly uplifts me because I have a lot of people that I follow that have inspirational messages or things about spirituality or metaphysics or meditation or stuff that I'm really interested in. So it brings me up. And when I go on TikTok, I follow people that make me laugh um, because sometimes laughter is the best medicine. And there's something I can have a real big belly laugh in 30 seconds that I wouldn't get by watching half an hour of a Friends episode. So, again, just kind of really be intentional with what you're spending your time on. So if you're like the candle thing, that's not for me. The breathing thing is not, not for me. I want to be on Instagram. Then, okay, are you following stuff that feeds your mind and your spirit and your soul? That, do you feel better or do you feel worse? If you feel angry after getting on social media, then that's probably not how you should spend your time if you're overwhelmed and already stressed because it's just going to exacerbate things and make it worse. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to dive into just a little bit about Mm -hmm. the coaching that you do because you coach lawyers. So what have you observed are some of the biggest struggles or pain points for the lawyers that you coach? And do you have any advice to speak to maybe one of those to the listeners? There's two things, right? Lawyers are super stressed. So I have a mission. There maybe never is not going to be a happy lawyer like me, but I have a mission to help people be happier. I want you to love what you do and do what you love, right? And we know that lawyers, the mental health crisis is real. Suicide, depression, anxiety, etc. I worry for lawyers who have to go back into an office who even though the pandemic has been awful for people, there are some things that people like about working from home or that they've been able to, you know, I could do my laundry in the middle of the day. I can actually cook like a nutritious meal for my family, right? And so some people have to go back in the office. Is the workplace, is it going to go back to normal where we don't really care about people, right? Those are the things I think that, that I worry about for, for, for people who have to go back into an office space soon. So that's one of the things I'm hearing from some of the clients. Most of the clients that I I talk to want to talk about, they initially say, I need help in dealing with this kind of thing, with client development, with imposter syndrome, et cetera. But I often start off with, okay, how do you relax? Like, I don't have time to relax. It's like, all right, let's just try a little meditation. Let's just try two minutes. Okay. And then we do five minutes. And then so sometimes, so some people that I have yet to talk about their actual legal issues because we spend, you know, 35 minutes dealing with meditation, talking about energy and tapping and Reiki and that kind of stuff. But there's a hunger for that that I don't think they realize is there, right? That they need to just kind of stress, to de-stress. So what are some coping strategies? So the kinds of conversations we just had, where I said, I thought we were going to talk about the partner you need to deal with or the person where you didn't get the origination credit. Like, no, let's, let's talk more about this because they realize when they're more centered and calmer, then it works for them. So we work on things like mindfulness, which again, is like, that's not my thing. So, but let's talk about why it's going to help you at work. Let's talk about how it's going to help you kind of reflect before you react. 
and think about how that's going to make you a better lawyer, how it's going to slow you down in terms of your reading, how if you're doing your, you know, a, a motion, arguing a motion for a judge who, you know, is going to try to get under your skin, how you might be able to, to just take that half a second and use certain tools. So there's, there's that. Um, there's also, you know, the imposter syndrome issues. Right? So I work with a lot of people on kind of growth mindset, fixed mindset, and of course there's many different types of mindsets. Resiliency, great, I'm actually doing something for a local um, group of in-house lawyers here in South Florida um, on kind of looking at grit and stress and, and how you address those. Um, but I think the biggest tool is, again, this is the time where lawyers are under most stress, but the time where it's most acceptable and most normal to actually say that you're struggling, right? Um, you know, if you look on LinkedIn, you know, I posted a, a post today, I was on a panel, I was on two panels today, it's got like 12 likes, and it shouldn't be about the likes, right, but whatever. I post something about like a mental health or stress management thing, it's like hundreds of likes, people reaching out to me, which I'm thinking, who knew, right? Lawyers are hungry for stuff related to wellness that's meaningful and impactful and that's, that they can do. So when I work with the coaching clients, we spend a lot of time talking about what's going on in their lives. And I'm not their therapist, right? But every single time they finish a coaching session, they have two or three digestible things that they can do. And I follow up with them. Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Um, because what you have a coach is, is to help you keep you accountable, right? And, and that's what people need. Um, I talk to them about, again, reframing their language about thinking, I'm not really going to be good at this. We talk about the yet, but also say, is that true? Like, yeah. How do you, I said, but, but how do you know it's true? I said, so let me get this straight. So you have, so the partners have asked you to go pitch to the client. You don't think you're going to be good at it. Do you think the partners are sabotaging the chance to get the business? Well, no. Um, do you think the partners don't think you're qualified? Well, no. I said, so is it true that you're not the right person for this? How do you know it's true? So ask the people, is it true? How do you know it's true? And then how would you act differently if this was not true? Oh, I wouldn't be scared at all. I said, okay, but you just said it's not true. You don't have any reason to believe it's true. So let's kind of do things like that. So we do a lot of those exercises, again, um, with studying neurolinguistic programming and how people kind of process information, etc. We do a lot of that kind of work as well. And it really tends to help people very quickly. Um, you know, coaches focus on, let's talk about your future stuff. The therapist focuses on, let's talk about the past and what happened with your childhood and why you're not good, why you feel like you're not good enough and your sister got, you know, a bigger sweet 16 than you did and you still can't get past it. That's, I'll listen to that stuff, but then we'll talk about, okay, but let's talk about now and going forward. Yes. So actually, what you just said reminded me of something I said recently. I said, you know, I've been to a therapist. I've spoken to my priest about problems. They've helped me identify the problems and, you know, the the issues that are that are causing my current problems. But neither of them helped me come up with solutions. And I've worked with coaches during COVID. Right? It's it, like you said, it's the time where it's acceptable to say, I'm struggling. How do I seek out help? And it was the coaches who were helped just through a series of questions, y'all are magical because you just through a series of questions, you get, you just shift that mindset and then it's future focused, right? You're, you're looking at ways to, uh, you know, ha speak more kindly to yourself, take action steps, believe that you can do things that even without the proof yet. And it's just so powerful. 
Right. So, you know, you've got co and, and coaches have to be careful because I'm a coach and I'm also a business consultant. And so I have to resist the thing saying, just do this. Right. So, you, but, you know, it's so the coach that kind of helps you come to your own conclusion and can guide you. Um, and so and, and lawyers are so used to like. Do this, do this, you could do this, you could do this. But, you know, and so as a lawyer who's also a coach, I also have to resist the temptation to solve the problem for the client. Right. Um, lawyers are also interesting because lawyers often find that only other lawyers can coach them. I don't think that's true. I can understand how people might think that's true. But, you know, we're our own special breed. Right. Yes, you know, we only are. a lawyer could understand me. Not really true. But I will say there is a benefit. Right. So since I've been in house, I've been in big law, I've been in boutique firm, I've been in academia. Um, it does help me look kind of at the life cycle of the lawyer. There's no single lawyer that I'm going to be afraid to talk to that I haven't had some kind of similar, I mean, I haven't been a criminal lawyer, but, you know, I'm not worried about talking to the partner in the law firm at the biggest law firm in the world. I'm not worried about that because I used to hire that partner when I was an in-house lawyer, right? So I don't have that intimidation factor of talking to other lawyers. And I think that helps lawyers kind of respect you because, you know, lawyers, law firms and lawyers often don't see the need for coaching. So you see the need for coaching, right? You have a podcast, obviously you're a different person. I try to reach the people who don't necessarily see the need for it. Um, so I'm gonna be working with, one, with a very large law firm um, starting the summer, coaching um, some of their associates, but it's gonna be like office hours. They're gonna drop in. So I don't know if you've ever seen the show Billions. So Wendy kind of just sits in an office and people just come in and talk. She's like, oh my gosh, I could be the Wendy. Right? Yes. So I'm, super, I'm super like, we don't want any assessments. We just want them to be able to talk. She's like, I, I can do that. If you want to pay me for that, that's fine. But it's a group of associates at a very large law firm that they're worried about, am I going to make partner? Am I going to be equity partner? How do I pitch the business? Um, should I be back in the office because that's where all the action is? Or should I stay, stay back? Am I going to derail my career? What's happening? You know, so many different things. And sometimes they need to talk to somebody who's been there and who's done that and who understands that. But not from an advice perspective, but just like you talked about. So you're going to be talking to Megan. Let's talk about, let's do some role playing. I do a lot of role playing with my lawyer clients. And I also do assessments. So I had a person right now, he's in a clerkship, right? He's just out of law school doing his clerkship, and he's going to be working for one of the biggest law firms in the Midwest. So I'm prepping him to go to that firm in the Midwest, but he's dealing with his co-clerks. We did an assessment. We used a DISC. Um, and I've had him try to figure out what the style is of all the other people he works with. He says, you know, it's working, because now when I talk to such and such, I know her style, I know how to communicate with her, and even my judge is like, things are so much different with you. What have you done? So people are starting, you know, and he said, He's doing with his girlfriend, et cetera. So that's what I talk about with tangible stuff. How can you learn the work and the communication style of other people? It doesn't matter if it's DISC, Hogan, Clifton Strength, you know, Myers-Briggs. When you learn more about yourself and how to interact with others, you're going to be a more effective lawyer. Um, and so, and of course, everybody likes reading about themselves, right? But then do you have to put it into practice? And so I've actually said, okay, we know that Megan is a such and such type. Let's have this conversation. See, when you use that word, here's what Megan hears, Right. So we're used as lawyers is thinking about, okay, I can do a deposition. I know people. It's very different when we're talking about ourselves and our interpersonal relationship with our colleagues. So that's another thing that I work with clients on, kind of communication style. The words have power, but how do you speak to people in a way that they need to hear it, um, that they are receptive to what you're saying? The words are almost meaningless if you're not communicating in a way that somebody wants to hear it. 
Oh my gosh, there's so much that we could go into. I wish I had a longer show. <laughs> oh, I try to keep no it to worries. 30 minutes. This is so good, Marcia. No I, I may just have to have you back because I feel like we're just <laughs> scratching the surface here, but this has been so helpful. I know that there are going to be a lot of listeners who you're just, they're going to start thinking about things just a little bit differently. And I think that that's truly powerful. So mm-hmm. if the listeners want to find you, if they want to follow you, if they want to work with you, how do they find you? Well, so you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, every, I'm trying to do every Sunday some kind of inspirational video. Um, I'm also on Instagram. So my company's name is Illuminating Wisdom. So it'll be Illuminating Wisdom on Instagram, but you'll also see it by my name, um, by my name on, on uh, LinkedIn. Illuminatingwisdom.com is the website. Um, I also do like intensive, like a half day intensive where we just sit there, let's talk about your life, whether it's a business or whether it's a, a, you know, a, a personal situation. Um, so I work with a lot of small business owners as well. Um, and I also work with people on just, if they've never meditated, you know, I just want to try it. I just want to learn something about this. I just need to figure out a way. So I try to add it. I, I think of myself as a holistic coach. Um, I'm not your nutritionist, right? Um, but, but, but I will help you work on stress management, stress reduction, as we also work on the interpersonal issues, the business issues, the pitching to the clients, the managing the workload, that kind of stuff. Fantastic. So com or LinkedIn, Instagram. And I'm now on TikTok because I put out other messages for law students and other stuff and small businesses there. And I will make sure to put all of that in the show notes so people can find it easily. Marcia, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was fun. And thank you to all the listeners. Until next week, take care. Lawyer moms, we made it through another episode of the Mom Life and Law podcast. I'm so glad you're here. If today's episode resonated with you, I ask that you share it with another lawyer mom in your life. And if you haven't already done so, please leave a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. Until next week, remember, you are more than enough. You have a superpower that this world needs, and you are the perfect mother to your children, flaws and all. Take care.